This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Ball of the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, May 15th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Today's show will feature the voice of the Boston Celtics, Mike Gorman. Mike and I will reminisce about the season, the whole season. Starting from the offseason to the summer of 2015, all the way back to the draft, the failure to move up, free agency, preseason, the regular season, and finish where we've been leaving off. So when the semester ended, when the season ended, the April 28th Game 6 loss in the first round of the Atlanta Hawks, it is the unofficial, official 2015-16 season recap show, and we will do it with the Celtics play-by-play announcer for Comcast Sports Net New England. Also, coming up later, great article this past week on CLNSRadio.com written by Mike Walsh on the Celtics' backcourt. Great, great breakdown of their season and also each and every one of their future in green. So we'll get Mike here and the other Mike, whichever one you want to flip it over as. All on episode number 157 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Audible. Free 30-day trial at audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics and the leading organic meat brand in America, www.americanfarmersnetwork.com. Celtics season may be over, but the NBA season is not. Not nearly. The NBA playoffs, they've been great. Well, the Western Conference, well, particularly Spurs, Thunder, great but slow per usual uh, with the conference finals not yet underway. But while the NBA playoffs have been trickling along, the offseason for the Celts seems to be flying, at least on my end. It certainly helps when the team that's being covered on this show and the predominant audience of this show has an emotional interest in them they are major players in the 2016 nba draft lottery the long anticipated lottery what we've been looking forward to all year actually even longer when that trade was first made back three summers ago we were waiting for that day that would start yielding lottery selections so all that time keeping tabs on every brooklyn maneuver really the last year and a half when their situation went south it all comes to a head two days as I am speaking right now, is Tuesday, May 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's here, 2016 NBA Draft Lottery. And as a leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics, CLNS Radio will provide wall-to-wall coverage of the Celtics in the lotto here on the network. I'll get into further details later in this show. And if you can't wait for that, check out www.clnsradio.com for information on programming on Tuesday. But here's a little tease. This network will broadcast pre, 
during and after the draft lottery in a few days. So again, stay tuned for further details on this show or head on over to clnsradio.com for the schedule if you just can't wait. But right now, I've got to get to today's guest waiting alongside with us. So it's time to get to today's featured segment. Mike Gorman, Boston Celtics play-by-play voice on the television home of the team, Comcast Sportsnet New England. Today's interview and season in review show is brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations. And all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's family ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. What are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. Time for the main course meal itself. Mr. Gorman, uh, welcome back into Celtics Beat. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. My, my pleasure, Egg. You, you got me in a little bit of a roll there. We're fired up to have you. But as you know, this is our season recap episode well, for the team, for the franchise. Last week, we got this sort of kicked off in a way by doing individual player grades and report cards, if you will, with your CSNNE colleague, Kyle Draper. But this is our time to reminisce about, heck, even how we felt, how you felt, actually, someone who's around this team on a daily basis. So let's start by doing this chapter by chapter. I want to take us back to the off season. A lot of people were underwhelmed by that offseason, largely because there's so many throughout the fan base waiting for that volcanic eruption. But last summer didn't produce that. So how did you feel about it on, say, like an obligatory day, August 1st, 2015, following the draft, Amir Johnson re-signing Jarepko, David Lee? Were you one of the underwhelmed? Well, the thing that impressed me, Larry, was I knew uh, in, in conversations with, with people in the South Dakota organization, they, they were working very, very hard to make a big deal. Um, it wasn't like they were smugly sitting in a corner waiting for people to come to them. They were aggressively on the phones. They were aggressively trying to make something happen. So when it, when it didn't happen, was I disappointed? Sure, because, I, I, you know, I would like to see the fireworks, and I think we will see some fireworks in, in the coming months here. But... Um, I, again, I knew it wasn't for a lack of effort. I knew they were trying to do uh, everything they could to to land that Kevin Garnett of, of, of this generation. Do you think that there's almost – it could be – not say detrimental, but, uh, I mean, they, they seem to be pushing so much of something's big going to happen, something is big going to happen. You even go back to the draft last year. They put it out on their official Twitter feed that the team was trying to trade up in the draft and that that didn't happen. And that whole draft night was sort of just like, a, are you okay? Is that good PR on their behalf? I know we're really micro analyzing this, but was that be something that you would do if you were say run on the team? It, it, that being what again? Tell me. Just being so open of what you're going to do, and that being uh, trading up in the draft, and, and almost telling fans something big is going to happen. Every single radio interview that any executive does, Wick, Danny, uh, Rich Gotham, anybody. Do you yeah. Think, go ahead. No. Well, yeah. I mean, they, again, I, can, I just come back to they—they they wanted it to happen. They were willing to have it happen. There wasn't an ownership standing in the way saying, no, we're not going to spend that kind of money. There wasn't a, a, a general manager who had one idea and a basketball coach who had another. Everybody was on the same page, and everybody wanted something to, to work. I think one of the problems the Celtics face right now is that Danny Ainge, nobody really wants to deal with Danny because they're afraid they're going to get fleeced, and they're going to look stupid. Not the first time uh, you haven't said that on this show. 
and and um, I, I well, I think there are a lot of general managers out there who would rather do nothing, and then if things don't work out, fire the coach, than making some sort of blockbuster big time deal that you're solely responsible for engineering in the off season, and then it doesn't go through, and you get fired. Yeah, that sort of goes back to, uh, as I said, you referenced that on this show before, and you were specifically using Charlotte in the draft. We were just talking about not being able to trade up in the draft. I remember you specifically saying, I believe, on these airwaves that Charlotte believed there was a Trojan horse in that trade. Mm-hmm. Well, well yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, they, uh, they were them, all looking for that. Unfortunately for them, because that would have been a bad trade on Boston's end. It would have been a terrible trade on Boston's end. Couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so let's yeah. go into the season. Uh, you were forty. You had you had them at forty-five wins, right? I believe going into the year. Forty-seven, I, I said going into the year. Were you had any, did you have any concerns though playing out before the season? I mean, I was one of those who was a little worried of maybe potential chemistry issues, and I, I guess you sort of saw at the beginning of the year. I remember Jay Crowder complaining after the Orlando game, which I believe was on November twenty-ninth, blowout loss down there, but. Were you at all concerned maybe of a congested roster and that playing out and maybe spilling a little worse of a record than we all anticipated? Well, yeah, I, that, that was certainly a possibility. I, I, do, um, I do think Brad is exceptionally good at um, playing the cards that have been dealt him and playing them uh, well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought there was the problem for too many people, not enough minutes, uh, not enough shots to, to go around. But he, he worked that very well, and by the end of the season, nobody was really had any complaints. Uh, I mean, the standard guys, they always want to play every minute of every game. But in reality, nobody had any complaints when the season ended. So I think they took a potential problem, I guess is what I'm trying to say, uh, to, and just turned it into a neutral. Yeah, oddly enough, it was the forward position that I was most concerned about. You had Amir Johnson, you had Jared Sullinger, uh, or even big men, uh, Tyler Zeller the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, the biggest quote-unquote off-season acquisition and, and the guy that got the most pub and from people that I respect in the media, Bob Ryan, just had him on two weeks ago. Cedric Maxwell was big on this guy. David Lee, um, how did you feel when that move went down? Uh, did you view it as like a risk-free trade that, you know, nothing? I did. I, again, I think it was the idea that when, you know, given the, the uh, Gerald Wallace contract, um, at the time, putting us back in that at that time, uh, if they came to you as ownership and said, "Hey, we can get David Lee for a year for five million, you'd say, "Oh, okay, sure, do that." And I think that's what exactly what they did. What what happened was, unfortunately, is is David Lee's game is not the way Brad Stevens wants to play the game right now. So they they, they had to make adjustments that they didn't really want to make because they, they want to stretch the floor. They want to have the floor play primarily in the corner and be able to shoot threes from the wing of the corner. Um, and that really was just not David's game. And, and so he was kind of a fish out of water. How long did it take for you to realize it wasn't going to work out? <laughs> a couple of games. <laughs> I, I was I was big, actually, uh, on the European trip. He got off to that big start. But, yeah, the preseason, the rest of the way, it just – I mean, I, I didn't like the move at the time. I didn't think it was worth the money. Uh, but it, I showed, was, it showed promise, as you said, in the preseason. But once the regular season started and you saw how the Celtics were going to play the game, he just didn't fit. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He just didn't fit. Um but again, for for five million dollars, and that you're going to have to pay out anyway to, to to Wallace, why not? Pivoting to that regular season, they got off to a rough start. This is the first time we get to talk about the year, actually. But they were one and three, 
And there were a lot of occurrences where it looked like they would get things turned around. They would suffer a, then a bad loss, lose, like losing to the Nets. I remember I had you on right, uh, right before they get, played a game down in Brooklyn on a Sunday evening. They mm-hmm. blew them out on a Friday night, and then they would drop one of the Nets. Then they obviously had that horrible stretch around the holidays that left the team at 500 in the middle of January. How were you feeling then? I remember you were slightly bothered at the brand of basketball that would be played, like maybe some of the veterans were taking over a bit too much when things weren't going well. What was your sort of psyche with this team in mid, you know, early January? Again, see, I, from where I come from, i got to be hopeful all the time. Um, and so, uh, Especially with I, that guy I, next to you. Half I'm sorry? Time. Especially with the guy next to you for half the games. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, then I can relax when Tommy sits there because he brings all the hopeful, uh, positive stuff to the broadcast. Um, but anyway, going back to where, well, I, after you, you know, watching this game as, as closely as you watch this game, um, seasons are like a marathon, and to, to make judgments halfway through can, can get you in trouble. So I, I thought the Celtics at the time were kind of just cruising along. I knew they were going to be a streaky team, and, and they were a streaky team all year long. They had four-game win streaks, four-game losing streaks. They came close together. Uh, it didn't necessarily – you looked at the opposition, you saw them lose to the Lakers, saw them lose to, to the Nets, as you just mentioned. Um, you know, they were inconsistent, but I, I, I still thought that they, they were on a positive, in a, headed in a positive direction, and I believe they headed in a positive direction. And I thought what we saw at the end of Brad's – Last year, at the end of the year, how well the team played post-All-Star break. I, I, I went into this whole season thinking they're going to be a second-half team. So um, so they, they they did kind of what I thought they would do. I, I thought I said 47, and I was hoping for 50. Um, we all were, for whatever reason. We all, were, we all wanted that 50 number. Yeah, because um, you could see it. You could make a good case for it. Um, and I still think you could make a case for it. And, you know, we're, we're going to get further on into the season here. But once we get into the playoffs, I mean, the Celtics got the, the legacy of this whole season is going to be the Celtics lost a couple of games to the Nets and the Lakers that if they had won, they could have changed the whole playoff picture. Now, I know you're going to probably want to get into this eventually, and I'm jumping ahead on you. But um, instead of playing Atlanta and not having the home court, you're playing Miami with the home court. And if you ever had a healthy Avery Bradley, they'd still be playing right now. I definitely do want to get to that. Obviously, I'm going a little bit in chronological order for a recap. Yeah, I, and I do want to talk about the injuries, too, and how the team managed themselves down the stretch and after the whole West Coast road trip. But I am sort of right now in the middle of the season, and that's really when things got turned around. And not only did they start playing consistently, they really seemed to play the basketball Brad Stevens wanted them to play. Was there any, uh, you know, you're around the team every single day and, you know, flying with them and everything, but was there some sort of key moment that took place over the course of the season? For me, I look at that game in Washington. That was kind of the first real close win the team had on the road, going back and forth all game. They won on the Crowder layup. But were there any things maybe off the court that took place when the team was dealing with a bit of adversity in the first half of the year and they got that behind them and then off the way they went? Um. No, I don't think so. I, I think the, uh, the 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 story at the time that we were all marveling at was the emergence of Jay Crowder as the kind of player that that, that he turned out to be, um, and that really came from nowhere. Uh, I mean, we the Celtics knew getting him from Dallas that they they got a guy who was the biggest player of the year, was was a fairly mature player uh, by today's standards, and um, could do a lot of different things, but 
the rep was, yeah, he could do them in college, but he can't, can't really do them in the pros. Um, we were finding out more and more as the days went on in in January, December, late December and January, that Jay Crowder uh, was a factor. I mean, he wasn't a nice addition. He was suddenly becoming a factor. He's like your second leading scorer. He covers the the, the toughest guy on the other uh, team. He plays close to 35 minutes a game if you want him to and seems to be no worse for the wear. So, um, again, I, I think at that time that you're talking about in January, where I was coming from was looking at the development of individual players, watching Avery Bradley get better by the month, um, watching Crowder get be much better player than anybody thought he was, and starting to believe that Isaiah Thomas wasn't just a curiosity. This was a, uh, a legitimate big-time scorer in this league, which he is. I thought you could see it a bit with, with Crowder last year, though. I really thought you could see it. I, I even thought, I remember talking with uh, Red Ar- Randy, Red Auerbach's daughter, right after that trade uh, was made, and mm-hmm. Crowder, whenever he would play, looked like he belonged on the floor and played the brand of basketball. You know, you always hear the term true, uh, true Celtic or true Yankee yeah. when you mention yeah. Scott Brocious and Paul O'Neill and those guys. Jay yeah. Crowder seemed to fall in that mold, and I'm not now predicting that the Celtics are going to win four out of five championships based around people like Jay Crowder. But you sort of get at where I'm going. Is he the guy that you're probably most impressed with in terms of development from this year? I mean, you had Crowder, he, he, Bradley, and I even I would have throw Kelly Olynyk in there as well, even though he went down with the injury. Yeah, I throw Evan Turner in there too. Um, I, 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 that's the other guy who, as the season went on, you just got more and more impressed by that Evan Turner was, okay, now I understand why he was the college basketball player of the year. I get it now, um, which you certainly never got watching him play in Philadelphia or briefly in Indiana. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was all a development thing at the time. And, and I agree with you on Crowder. There's kind of two stages guys go through in the NBA when they initially come in and they kind of exceed expectations and people aren't really paying attention to them and they're able to go do pile-up numbers. And then once you go through the league the second or third time, people start adjusting to you. And the thing that most impressed about Crowder was he met those adjustments and continued to – his numbers continued to get better. Um so uh, those are the things, again, as I try to take myself back to January, um, watching Avery become better, watching Marcus Smart develop more, uh, watching Kelly, as you said, you could throw him in the mix. Um, all these guys were getting better. It's a, the thing with Brad Stevens that you hear about all the time is and it's every time all those players went through the roster there a year, year and a half ago, the, the one common refrain in all their exit interviews was, I'm a better player now than I was uh, when I got here. And um, that's that was the thing that was the most fun to watch with the team as the season went on, is, is, is that guys got better. They bought into the system, and they got, they got better. Guys got better, that being Bradley, Crowder, uh, Isaiah Thomas. I mean, we, we kind of forget about him getting better in a way because when he, I would say beginning of the year, I, I looked at him as I said it with Kyle last week. As he's a, he was a spark plug guy. He was a richer man's Lou Williams in a way. Guys got better, and they fit in better with the mold of the team, especially the second half of the year, because I just said to you earlier, it was a little frustrating at the beginning of the year watching veteran players, and you may as well name names, because those guys, I would say, were Thomas and Evan Turner, where even though as talented as they were, you know, if... If things really weren't going well with other players, I thought they took a little too much into their own hands, especially Turner, because I thought there were times, even going back to last year, um, beginning of the year, he was improving, no question, but there were still times he was a little too Todd Dayish 
for me, for my liking. <laughs> you like that? I knew you love that one. You knew I knew you loved that. <laughs> All right, easy. I knew you liked that. That's one. okay. That's good. I needed a good laugh. But it, there were times where it was a little, it was a little too much that I had that I had to deal with. And now he is one of the more uh, valuable players and a necessity on the second unit. I mean, is that all Brad? Well, again, it's Brad It's Brad looking at guys and, and not trying to, to put square pegs in round holes, but to just kind of figure out what this guy is and then figure out how you make the best use of what his strengths are. Um, and, you know, Brad recognized very quickly something that people didn't seem to recognize all that quickly in Philadelphia or Indiana, that Evan Turner had to have the ball in his hands to be effective. If you started him and played him off the ball, he would put up miserable numbers. Give him the ball, and everybody got better, and he put up really good numbers. Um, and so that was the, the, the big thing was, was, to, was to watch Brad understand what, it was an Evan Turner that made him, again, the high draft pick he was, and uh, the guy was a college player of the year, a lot of people felt. And why did this guy not be able to seed in the, pro, in the pros? Well, Brad figured it out, and now he's going to get very rich this summer. Uh, I hope Evan's back. I really want Evan to see Evan on this team, but um, I have a feeling you may see Evan in a Nick uniform. Oh, jeez. That's, that's, that was the team I threw out with Solinger. I guess we can get into him a little bit later, but I still want to stick on this because I mentioned the old Celtics. And if we're going to reference former Celtics from yonder and compare this kind of a different group, you know, there was another underdog bunch, that being the 2002 team that made it to the conference finals. We all remember Pierce, but it was the defense of that team that that was the identity of the team. They were the second best defense in the NBA that year. Everyone yeah. on the roster D up. And there were guys like Eric Williams, Tony Battee, and Walter McCarty that were really responsible for carrying out Jim O'Brien's vision, Dick Carter's vision, mm-hmm. and thus it became contagious on the, for the rest of the team. Who were the guys that did that for this year's Celtics team? Was it Smart, Crowder? I mean, I'll let you sort of have the floor on this. Um, again, you're the guys who specifically were – Carried out the coach's orders. Yeah, um, yeah but the good foot soldiers of the team that became really the, good foot, the glue. Uh, we had a lot glue. of foot soldiers. Um, you know, again, I think the similarity there is good. I hadn't really thought of that team. Um, the, the the Celtics were were and are a defensive basketball team. That's that's Brad's whole philosophy of, of playing. He's a little different than Jim O'Brien in that he's more structured on the offensive end. Jim, no, don't mention Jim O'Brien's offense. Okay, don't. I'm sorry. Don't mention Jim O'Brien's offense. We don't have to go. Well, you know, the, the the thing with that team with Jim O'Brien was Jim O'Brien basically had to deal with that team, which was like if you do what I ask of you, you shoot all the threes you want. There's no such thing as a bad shot offensively. I know. Um, that was for Mr. Walker. Brad is Brad buys the first part of that, um, but then the second part of that, he's he's not going to buy the bad shots. Um, I mean, some of the shots that Antoine put up were legendary. Is it, uh, like, that stop, stop, stop. This is, this is, uh, I, um, I know, I, oh, I know. I remember that it was, it was basic. That was basic. That rule was for Antoine too. And not to turn this into an Antoine thing, but that rule was for Antoine because he wouldn't play any defense. I was like, Antoine, if you can get me a little defense, I let you do what you do. But who was, um, I mean, maybe a better question is, you know, it, I guess who are, who's the real leader on the floor? If if that's the case, is it Bradley? I mean, or is it Crowder? Is it one of those? No, it's not. It's not Bradley. It's, it's, it's not so much Crowder. Uh, with Isaiah, in in some ways, was the leader on the floor when he's out there. He tends to bark around at people a little bit, uh, in a positive way, not in a negative way. Um, 
That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, you and I have talked about this before, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but um, I think the Celtics are very different than most NBA teams. And um, I'm watching games, watching these playoff games, and, and, you know, Oklahoma City is very much Westbrook and Durant's team. The uh, Kawhi Leonard is the Spurs. Uh, the Celtics, the central guy is kind of the coach. And uh, it's, like, it's like a really good college program. Um, I probably wouldn't like that reference, but um, it's like a really, really good college program in that it's um, the coach is the dominant personality right now, and um, players don't seem to mind that. They don't seem to uh, – there's nobody uh, that I've run into on this current set of roster who thinks I should be the leader, but I'm not. Um, they, don't, they, they don't have guys like that. So the leader of the team is kind of the coach. Favorite um, game of the year? Favorite game of the year? At Golden, Golden State. State. Okay. At Golden uh, what State. About, what about Cleveland? At, at Cleveland, the Cleveland. I was going to say, yeah, because the people had to say, oh, of course, Golden State. But I, I mean, the Cleveland game. Uh, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the Golden State game was, was kind of a – I remember talking to Brad about this afterwards. It was kind of a cumulative effect in that winning was really, was really cool. But being in the position to win and having watched that whole game and how he kind of coached that game and, and, and had them in a position to win the game, that was the fun part. You know, the, sometimes at the end of games like that, as you well know, the ball goes in or it doesn't go in. The Avery Bradley shot in Cleveland, would have, I wouldn't have even thought of that Cleveland game um, if it wasn't for that shot at the end. So the, the, the Cleveland game was what it was because of a moment of brilliance. Um, the Golden State game was it was like you just kept sitting there going like wow they he won't let them get on a run that was the big thing that struck me by the use of timeouts by the use of any way he perfect. could he would not let Golden State get on those killer runs that they get on yeah, that was his best coach game as a Celtic there were other players I thought from that night that had their best game as a Celtic that was sort of Jared Sellinger Swans song for this season and after that game happened I had Leon Poe on the show and I I told Leon I believe that that win was I would say uh, more impressive than winning a playoff series that having that type of signature win on the season and sure enough that's how it played out because they did not win a playoff series even though despite fans saying ah they got to win to a playoff series for this season to quote-unquote be a success one of the things though I, I going into this year it jumped out at me like a sore thumb because they never have this, and that is the West Coast trip at the end of the year, and I felt that was going to be a problem. It wasn't a problem for the regular season, I guess, in a way. They did sputter at the end, but could that road trip have come at a worse time? You mentioned the Avery Bradley injury. Uh, you know, very well nope, could have been. It could, not, it could not have come at a worse time. You're right. It could not have come at a worse time. But, but you know, you knew it was coming. You, you saw that last July when the schedule came out, so... Um, there's no excuse not to deal with it, but that that really that really hurt the Celtics. I, I thought at the end of the season. Yeah, there needs to be a petition to get them back. The roads they are traditionally right after Christmas, and then well, right nobody should be Christmas. nobody from the East should be traveling out in the West, you know, within two weeks of the playoffs. No, I, um, I agree with you. That, I don't know why that, that just happened. that just makes no sense. I mean, it, 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 the NBA wants to put the best product out there they can. Um, that is not the way to do it. Uh, but, as, but anyway, yeah. But as well, you, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Wick and Steve have made that uh, point very clear to the NBA. Good, good, because yeah, we all saw it right off the bat when that schedule came out. Like, what are they doing going on the West Coast trip a week before the postseason? Uh, and mm-hmm. it did happen, so they knew it was going to happen. It wasn't like you know, it was just they woke up one day and they said, "Oh, we're going to go out west." Uh, that was on the schedule at the, I believe, the first week of August. 
But after that happened, do you maybe felt they should have rested players after that, especially when some guys were dealing with some uh, nagging injuries? Or did you like them to push for that three seed and try to get the 50 wins while they still had a chance there going into the final weekend of the year? Yeah, that, I mean, I don't think the 50 wins matters one way or the other, but certainly to try to get the home court in the playoffs. You know, that, that as it turned out, was key. I mean, that, that was the difference in the season. I do, uh, as we sit here and talk now, I, I do uh, think that if Avery Bradley hadn't got hurt and they hadn't got caught in this snafu where instead of playing Miami at home with the home court, you're playing Atlanta on the road, um, I think they could still be playing right now the way these playoffs have shaked out. Um, oh, if they were in that other bracket, absolutely. If they were in the other yeah, bracket and they seriously. were not playing yeah. Atlanta. I think, I mean, I know they had an unbelievable home court uh, in games three and four and six, but yeah. I, they ran out of gas. I thought you clearly, now we can now get now to the playoffs. I thought they were clearly out of gas. I thought that they were pretty much on fumes going into that the Atlanta game, the Saturday night when they just hit a wall in, in that game. They got a little bit of an adrenaline rush in games three and four with their home crowd. But they yeah. played, I thought, two t- terrible games, the first two games in Atlanta, and, of course, the fifth and sixth game as well. I thought it was more of a case of just who they drew. I thought they could have beaten Miami or Charlotte on the road. It was just more so how they drew. And, and there was also the fact that they were out of steam. They were on fumes at the end of the year. Argument for another day of, you know, you don't like a team in their mid-20s. That's out of gas in the first round of the playoffs. But I, <laughs> that's safe to say that's the way to analyze it. There's no other way about it. How did you feel? Well, well there, there, there is one additional way to, to, to analyze it. And it was a problem all year long. It was a problem that we all chose to, I, I, just, I shouldn't say we all, but I, I chose to really ignore. And that was that every time I sat down with the stats, this team did not shoot the ball well. It just did not shoot the ball well. Um, they made up for it with hustle. They made up for it with good coaching. They made up for it with good chemistry. Um, but the bottom line was they did not shoot the ball well. And that just really, whether whether that became a cumulative thing with, with, when you add in the fatigue aspect that you have mentioned, um, but that, that last game, six, I mean, that ball just never went in, never went in. And then that's where we need to make a move is we Celtics need somebody who can shoot the ball. Yeah, it's, probably uh, a couple of guys. It's it's, uh, it's funny too because Brad, they've been talking about how they you know want to put emphasis on outside shooting, and since Brad's been here, they've never really had a legitimate sharpshooter. They've obviously selected James Young and and R.J. Hunter, but they haven't been able. They've made a, an effort to sign Danny Green in free agency two years ago, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh-huh. they they do they don't have shooters on that team. It'll be interesting. No, that, to see if they and that's it. why the kids from Oklahoma may suddenly be. Depending upon how the balls uh, turn out, I mean, if, if they just turn out the way the odds would say they would, and the Celtics said there was a third pick, um, that kid from Oklahoma is going to look pretty enticing. The show for another show, and of course we have to wait for those balls to fall. <laughs> yeah, on the yeah, we do. Not, to just a few days away, actually. Um, it is, it's closer than you think. Yeah, exactly. I know. So, but I wanted to touch upon this though, because you got to got to wrap this up to get you out of here. Going into the playoffs, how did you feel? drawing the Atlanta Hawks. I, I missed your prediction and, and your real prediction, not the Celtics over Cavs and six, so they'll click the Comcast videos predictions. Uh, what was your honest take going into these um, playoffs? I, 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 I thought the Celtics would win the series uh, in seven. Um, I thought it would probably go six or seven. I, um, 
but I thought Boston would win the series. Uh, Atlanta always seems to be a problem for this team, and and the the, the two guards I knew were going to be a big problem. Um, I mean, if I if I showed you Corvus' numbers at the end of the series, you would say, "Oh, the Celtics obviously won the series if he had if he played like this." Um, so it, it was it was Schroeder was you know he was the difference, and he he was the difference. He almost won the game single handedly. Uh, the last game of the Cleveland series, he he almost won that by himself. Um, so. I, I, I still thought we could beat them, but I thought there were some problems in the backcourt defensively without Avery. Um, I, I was afraid that those two kids would dominate, which they ended up doing. But uh, but going into the series, I thought the Celtics would win. I definitely thought the Celtics, as you said earlier, would win in Miami and or Charlotte. I, 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 even with Avery hurt, I think they win that series. How did you feel after Game 5, though? That's when I, I probably knew it was a wrap, the way Atlanta took care of them down there. I even thought that, I mean, Go, just, go ahead. Did you think it was over then? When was your epiphany moment of they're not going to beat Atlanta? Um, actually, the first quarter of Game Six, I was I was still optimistic until the first quarter of Game Six, and then I, I, I just the ball was just not going in. I know that sounds really simple, but that that really was it. The ball just did not go in the basket, and you were yeah. just like, oh, you you weren't saying, oh, they're going to get hot in your head. At least I wasn't. I was going like, oh, school's out here. Yeah, someone once said, I can't recall who it was, that it's a make-or-miss league in the NBA. But uh, yeah. to wrap it up, I've got to finish more on a negative note. Disappointments from the season. Um, I, wa- I, I want the Sullinger thing, Sullinger thing to work out because I like Sully as a kid a lot. Um, but it was, it was disappointing. Um, he just got bigger as the season goes on. He needs to deal with that, or he's going to eat himself right out of this league, which would be a shame. Real quick, just give me a percentage on the odds of you see him on a Celtic uniform next year. 50-50. Right. Last question I lied. This is the last question I promise. Another, yeah, okay. real, another real quick see, I'm question. Better at, I'm better at these quick answers. Another, uh, this, is the, this is the best way to get you out of here because I had your, one of your colleagues, Kyle Draper, on last week. We graded individual players. A few weeks ago, I posed this question to Bob Ryan, too, about grading the season. So we know yeah. the season was a success. I don't think anyone's going to argue against that. But how about a grade on the 2016 campaign combining the offseason, the regular season, and postseason? That's all one semester, Professor Gorman. Give it a grade. B+. Plus. Mike Gorman, Boston Celtics play-by-play announcer, Comcast Sportsnet New England. can follow Mike on Twitter, at Celtics Voice. So happy to get you back here. My pleasure, Larry. You're really good at what you do. I enjoy talking with you. Well, that is a way to put a bow on the season. Mike, thank you personally for the kind words. And on behalf of the audience, thank you once again for joining this show, joining this network. Last summer, this time last year, so right after this team got swept by Cleveland, seems like a lifetime ago, eons ago. You had the vantage point, the vantage point around the league regarding that time, the situation of the Celtics last spring. A bunch of okay players, tons of overachievers that Brad Stevens squeezed the sponge to get every last drop out of them. But maybe outside Isaiah Thomas, no players of real value to anyone else but the Celts. Franchise had all their draft picks, all the picks, etc. But no real commodities on the actual roster outside of Isaiah. who Remember, just a few weeks prior to that was acquired for a box of cookies. So that shows you what his value was at the time. Remember, go back to the summer of 2014. Despite the team being equipped with the endless array of picks, 
They weren't even considered as a Kevin Love destination because Minnesota just didn't have any interest in any of the players on their roster at the time. Now things have changed. And this season, that's why 365 days prior to today feels like years ago now, as Mike emphasized, so much individual improvement up and down the roster from players. So many guys took major, major steps no, not stars. I mean, that's stating the obvious, but there are a lot of impactful players on this roster that would fit on any team. And this year proved that the second half of last year was not a fluke and was more than just Brad Stevens working his magic. Going into last summer, I remember being excited over the possibilities of guys like Greg Monroe, players like that, being the big piece for that particular offseason. And maybe he'd be a guy that would help take that team from the 40 wins that had won in 2015 take them to a team competing for the Atlantic Division, winning 50-some games, high 40s. Well, they did that last year without really any major key additions, just the guys that they had. The guys that they had, they got better. And with that in mind, just allows us to effortlessly transition to our next guest, Mike Walsh, Celtics beat reporter for CLNS Radio. Mention this in the opening. If you haven't already, Mr. Walsh wrote a great piece this past Wednesday on CLNS Radio Dot com discussing the backcourt. We all look at Isaiah Thomas, Smart, Bradley, and as those who make up so much of the identity of this team and not just what they bring to the table on a concrete standpoint. And if you haven't read it already, it is in the Celtics Magazine section on the CLNS Radio website. Mike, first off, welcome in. Want to jump right into your piece here. Can get to the likelihood of that three-headed monster returning this fall a little later. But let's delve right into this and go in order of the players talked about in your your piece and how you ordered them. Isaiah, anything to that that he's added or had two lackluster postseasons in a row, is that more of an indictment on the team than him? Is it on him or is it just a sample size of 10 total games that we can't draw an entire conclusion from? Well, I think it's going to be a little bit of sort of everything you mentioned there. It, it can't just be on the team, though, because these are his only postseason appearances are 10 games with the Celtics starting last year uh, with the, the four-game sweep against Cleveland. And it's it's more of him just – I'm going to look deeper into this in the near future. It's just can a guy of that size – and that's really his, his biggest limitation is just that size. Can that guy win games consistently in a, in a seven-game series where – Teams are going to be, you know, focusing on him. They have days to prepare. They know what he does. Uh, it's not just a game by game thing. You know, guys are flying in and out uh, of these cities to play against him. It's guys focusing on him, and we saw him just get close to snuffed out in some of these games. You know, the the block shots were they talked about it constantly during the broadcasts, and Al Horford and Paul Millsap, these guys were just, for lack of a better term, snuffing out Isaiah in some of these games. I know he had the forty point game and everything, but uh, in, in the story I mentioned, his I go into some of the advanced stats. His his block shots attempts per game went up uh, significantly in each of the two past playoff seasons. But how much of that would you put on the rest of the roster? There was the Atlanta didn't give a crap about anybody on the Celtics once Bradley went down. He was the only shooter who, or the only player who was capable of making an outside shot. There were numerous screenshots throughout various aspects of the internet, various posts on the internet that showed Atlanta sometimes throwing five guys at Isaiah. And Cleveland did mm-hmm. that last year as well. I mean, how much is it Isaiah, and how much is it the fact that there was really no one else on the rest of the roster that was capable of making an outside shot at a respectable clip for Atlanta to care any, about anybody else on the team? It's it's true, and that's going to be a, a significant portion of this summer is going to be looking at who can they go get, who can they draft, maybe, you know, a buddy healed one of those guys. Who can they get 
this summer to help them next year, to help Isaiah become a better player, particularly in the postseason. Because Isaiah can, he's capable of doing it himself in certain regular season games. Uh, I I do realize that, yeah, they had, you know, the lack of shooting. Kelly wasn't out there. Avery wasn't out there. Uh, Crowder was uh, whatever was going on with his uh, lower half. And the shooting wasn't there to help Isaiah. But I still think it's it's part game planning on uh, Atlanta's part, on Cleveland's part last year. You can focus on this guy, and uh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're not going to get um, – that level of shooting that's necessary to help a guy of that size, I feel like, to be successful consistently throughout the course of a seven-game series against one defense. Jonas Jarepko was the team's best outside shooter. Yeah. I should sort of tell you where that was in that playoff series. Real sure. quick, on a scale of 1 to 10, so then therefore, how worried are you with 10 obviously being the highest on Isaiah in his 10 career playoff games? How much water do you think that holds? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how yeah, on a worry I? On a worry scale, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you can't be that worried for the, for the simple case that uh, it is such a small sample size and he does have, you know, here and there good games. But on the whole, it just uh, – and it's not just at the rim too. He has a shot well from outside. Um, how worried am I? It, it's tough to be worried. I go just six or seven, uh, probably just six. It's, it's tough to be worried about because um, he's not, he's not the, the level of superstar that I think is going to get you over that next hump into the into the second round and into the third round into the conference finals and stuff like that so i i just don't uh think of him on that level so i can't get too too worried about it i think he's i don't consider him an ultra superstar automatic championship mm-hmm. guy but he's a lot i mean he's he's an all-star fair one fair and does sure. he you think he holds because your your piece is so much about the just possibly the celtics trading any one of these three guys and we're talking about isaiah mm-hmm. now he was the first guy you talked about in your story does he hold more value to the Celtics organization than he would the 29 other teams because of even forgetting how good he is? And I'd, I'd argue that he, I mean, I'd argue he's in that second tier, Mike, of, of the great guards mm-hmm. in the NBA. But how he has become the most identifiable player for the franchise as the upward ascension on this team pretty much began with the acquisition of him last February. You just heard Mike Gorman call him the leader of this team on and off the court, his relationship with the front office and what we think are his relationships with other players around the league, all the stories about him talking to different guys in the All-Star game, free agents or whatnot. Would his value that he has with the Celts appropriately reflect the hypothetical return on paper from any other team? I, I find that probably unlikely. Uh, obviously he is, he does mean a lot to this team right now. And that there's not a lot of face of the team guys. I don't think anybody's been here longer than what, seven years, six years. How long has Avery Bradley been here? 2010. Um, yeah. So it hasn't been that long for really any of these guys. It's sort of an in and out thing. And, but along with that, you view of him as the face of the front. Well, Danny H hasn't been exactly afraid to trade anyone who has been seen as, you know, the face of this franchise. Uh, you look at Rondo, you look at obviously Pierce and Garnett. Antoine Walker. Um, Antoine, you, you knew Antoine. Well, you knew he much of him, Antoine. But you know, you're, you're, you're right. Go ahead. Sure. And just uh, in terms of Isaiah and his value, I know a lot of people will talk about that contract, and uh, every contract you know going to be dissected in sort of weird new ways now when the cap goes up. Uh, but just because I want people to keep in mind, just because it's not a bad contract doesn't mean it's an outstanding contract. Uh, he he got signed this contract after a season that he had two years ago, I think, after 2014, where he had 20 points a game. Uh, and it was, if you look at the, the overall numbers, roughly similar stats. And I know this came on a winning team this year, uh, but that contract was valuable then. And I don't see a huge, huge difference in it now. And just, you have to look at him at 27. He's not old. Um, but 
a player for a, exactly older for a sure. smaller guard. I mean, you look at a all smaller the, guard. Yeah. He loses any like half a step on his quickness, and I, I just don't see how he's getting those shots off. He does miraculous things with the ball exactly. at the rim, and just if he you know gets closer to thirty, crosses that thirty threshold, he loses a step. I don't see him you know being the same player. Or they, they, those little guys, I remember Isaiah Thomas, anytime they suffer the small an injury, you're right. And the, the athleticism, it's all based on their quickness. But I got to say yeah. this, with that said, I just can't imagine him being traded in any scenario unless out of nowhere some top five to seven player becomes available. And that says it's true in the, the lottery him. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see it happen. Uh, moving on, next guy mm-hmm. you mentioned, your next player, Avery Bradley. Thought you did a good rundown on him. I, I thought he had a great season here. I talked about it with Kyle last week, Kyle Draper. So he had this great season shooting the basketball. He improved mightily in terms of finishing around the basket on his drives, which I thought was a real weakness for him in prior years. He was obviously a great cutter with Rondo, but you know, whenever he would drive to the basket, he seemed to get a shot blocked a lot. Most importantly, though, back to playing elite defense. He's arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA, but you brought it up. Injuries every single year. Every year, going back to his mm-hmm. rookie year when he uh, didn't even play. I, you pointed out that he had ankle uh, yeah. surgery. Fire away on him. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's not just the injuries, too. It's the injuries in, in these crunch, you know, real situations where you need him. Uh, the 2012 playoffs, I believe oh, it was, when yep. he had the, those double shoulders. And uh, that, that really, really hurt the Celtics as they moved on into the, uh, the Heat series, I believe. He was obviously playing really good defense against Dwayne Wade. Everyone remembers that block at the rim. Um, but that was in a regular season game. That was? Okay. Yeah, April 1st. <laughs> April 1st, 2012, Sunday afternoon. But, no, I do remember that play. Uh, yeah, sure. but you don't want to why It was in a regular season game because he didn't play against Miami. Remember, he That's got true. hurt. I think, I yeah. think game five, game, game four, five against, I think game five against Philadelphia was his last game. And That's then right. Ray yep. was in the starting lineup uh, six. And yeah, yeah you're right. I, I I hate to reminisce about those days because I thought they would have <laughs> I thought they would have beaten Miami had they had Bradley, especially with Miami oh. missing Bosch for, for four games. But I interrupted yeah, you, so I, just keep keep going okay. no, along I, discussing Avery's injuries. I read your piece on on your problems with the the medical staff and everything. Uh, but yeah, it's it's injuries with him, and it's just it it's he's going to peak at a certain point, and I don't know if that peak is going to be. Uh, what what you want it to be, and obviously that that peak can last a while. We see it with Tony Allen; he's still a viable player in this league. But is it worth it to you know invest a ton in a, a shooting guard when it's a very deep position? Um, and he does; he has that similar contract to Isaiah that that seems valuable now. It might skyrocket in value when the cap goes up. We'll we'll have to discuss that later on. But uh, I just watching watch any highlight videos of him the nba put one together that's in the story uh just him defensively and it, it makes you just not want to trade him at all it makes you you know sort of fall in love with him all over again as a defensive player uh but again it's it's he's not around in these games and we go into the off season not knowing a ton about what he could become you're talking about trade possibilities in your piece is pretty much the entire premise of the story is breaking down the backcourt and which of these guys is most likely to be traded. I think he's the guy I've mentioned, I think, on the past two or three prior shows now. I think it's 50-50 that he's back. That's sort of what the number Gorman threw with Sullinger. But is he, I mean, I'll ask you, is he, in your eyes, the most likely to be traded of Thomas, you know, him, and uh, Marcus Smart? Or even actually, you know what, anyone on the whole team? Sure. I mean, yeah, you have to you have to think that just because he is, he is the most accomplished player on the team. I think... Um, 
in terms of just longevity of doing what he does. And he did have, you know, a, a couple down years maybe here and there. But that defense is is a reputation thing now with him. He's done it on major levels against some of the best players in the league. Uh, on national TV, he's done it. Unfortunately, not on national TV in the playoffs. But uh, he, he is the most accomplished guy, the most recognizable name, I think. Uh, even Isaiah, you know, this is sort of a, a breakout year, you would say, for Isaiah. And while it might be a breakout year for Avery, he's been doing this for a little while. Teams are finally starting to take notice. And obviously that contract, which I, I hate keep hate, hate having to keep bringing up, but uh, that that's going to play a factor in it as well um, in what he can he can return. I thought it was a bit of a breakout year for him, though, too, uh, Avery. Mm-hmm. I just talked about it. We talked about it with Mike uh, Gorman a little earlier. Just he's just about – I think he, he's about as more, as complete as he possibly can. He can hone certain aspects of his game. He becomes an even sure, yeah. slightly yeah, better shooter. Be. But there were some – major weaknesses in his game and I think he got he, he brought them to an acceptable level this year. I mean, he's a proven guy. I mean there, there are so there's just plenty of teams that that would want him. He's 26 years old. I mean the, he's got the ideal salary making I think what 8 million dollars 7 yep. 8. He can fit anywhere. He's a guy who can play yep. on 30 teams. And a but, guy with no off the field issues, really. He's he seems like a great guy. He's quiet. I don't think he's really into social media at all, and it just seems like an all around good guy to have around. Yeah, but and you it, know, it'd be tough to say goodbye to him. There could be op- other options here, though. I talked about mm-hmm. Terry Rogier on the last show, and it's almost sort of like the money ball uh, saber metrics of efficiency. You know, maybe Terry Rogier gives you fifty percent of what Avery Bradley can give you this coming season, and then he improves him there. I mean, gives you maybe 70% two years from now. He's cheaper, hopefully sure. and, healthier. And you have to look at smart as well. Go ahead. And Well, you have to look at smart being able to, you know, somewhat of an Avery Bradley type player, except much bigger, hopefully much physically tougher, uh, more gifted, you know, just overall strength and being able to stay on the court. Uh but that that would take over. Uh, you you meant you talked about percentages. You know, if you're going to give Terry Rozier some of the some of the looks there, but you do have a guy almost waiting in the wings to fill a starting spot, uh, whether it's next to Isaiah or whether it's next to a different point guard. Give me a good comparison for Marcus Smart. I use poor. He should be sort of a poor man's version of the 2010 2011 Derrick Rose with mm-hmm. that build. I bet when Derrick Rose. Got a competent jump shot. I mean, he became what he became before his injuries. My fair yeah. to say, go ahead. My fair to say, yeah, well, in the, yeah, and Poor in the story, I, I almost Poor go man's. a step further. I I draw a couple, a slight comparison to Dwayne Wade in, in the piece on CLNS right yep. now, and it, it's the they have the body. Stylist. They have the body. Yes, yeah, and even I would argue Smart has a. <laughs> as odd as it's not, he has a better body than both of those guys. Uh, he's he's just a tank to look at him. And uh, to think of him just, you know, spotting up and shooting these threes, uh, standstill jumpers, it's it's almost it gets to be a little aggravating. And I'm just, you know, yelling, go to the basket, use that body, get to the get to the uh, rim, get to the free throw line. And uh, that that is exactly Derrick Rose, exactly uh, Dwayne Wade, those type of guys. And the argument I want to make is they can exist in this NBA when you have. Steph Curry shooting all those threes. The whole Golden State team's jacking them up. You have uh, guys like Kelly Olynyk here in town, um, who Wade's are seven. Never oh. had an outside shot. Exactly, and he's playing in the playoffs right now. <laughs> but a good enough outside shot. It's just a, a three-point shot for Wade is more than anything. He's never really had you know a he he, he never had a three-point shot, but he had you know outside of eighteen feet, he could still make those. But. Sure, sure, but it's it's a matter of also he's always always getting to the rim, always get- going to the basket, and going to the free throw line. Asked Dallas ten years ago. Ask, <laughs> yes. ask Mark Cuban. 
Precisely. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, same thing with Derek Rose uh, in terms of just yeah being able to you know head a steam, dry to the basket. Obviously, that has to take a side seat too because that's, you know, for the most part, exactly what Isaiah Thomas brings to the table. Uh, but if he's out there with that second unit, you know, you have to get him doing that and uh, not, you know, doing what Sullinger does um, and, and just spotting up and shooting these threes. Threes I'm okay with Marcus if they're in rhythm, if he's, you know, Coming up as a trail or something like that, okay. But half-court threes, I, I would like to see out of his game. Mike Walsh, Celtics beat reporter for CLNS Radio. Check out his piece on the website. You can follow Mike on Twitter, at Walsh Writes. We'll be back to wrap up the show, but let's pause five seconds for station identification. You're listening to CLNS Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. As stated in the opening, details of CLNS Radio's draft lottery coverage would be later in the show. And here we are, later in the show. Justin Poulin and resident CLNS Radio draft guru John Duke hosts the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. They get this week's draft lottery coverage at CLNS Radio kicked off tomorrow with the draft lottery coverage and discussion. A pre-lotto show being released at 9 a.m. Eastern time on CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Then, Tuesday, the day, check out the Celtics post-game feed. CLNS Radio will go live just prior to the opening of the envelopes Tuesday evening and will broadcast just before, during, and immediately following the airing of the NBA Draft Lottery at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on, again, the CLNS Radio Celtics post-game show. Draft expert John Duke will host the show alongside WEI's Josue Pavon. And that is not all. Time pending. We'll take your calls toll-free, 347-215-7771. That's 347-215-7771. If you want to offer up your take and or vent or celebrate, that's on the Celtics postgame show live during the lottery. Lastly, to wrap it up, CLNS Radio Celtics locker room reporter Jared Weiss will go live on the Facebook feed immediately following the lottery on the CLNS Radio Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. That's facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Again, live, answer your questions, all in the WEI radio studios as he, alongside Sam Packard, Record their podcast, the WEI Celtics podcast, which should be released later that evening. But again, they are going to be recording live on Facebook, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. And of course, get written reaction from Corey Prescott and the rest of the Celtics B team at www.clnsradio.com all throughout the day and night. As promised, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics, CLNS Radio. Again, wall-to-wall coverage of the 2016 NBA Draft Lottery. And the easiest and most efficient way to get all this content right at your fingertips without having to go station to station, simply download the free CLNS Radio mobile app available for your iPhone and Android. Going to be a crazy 48 hours plus coming up. We look forward to providing the audience the amount of quality content during this really very very exciting time. Again, anything you can do to to support this operation so we can go round the clock for you and give you the best audio video coverage of the Celtics anywhere. Anything you can give, be it a rating and review for this show, Celtics Beat on iTunes, supporting our sponsors such as Audible, 
this is harmless, a free 30-day trial of audiobooks at audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. It's through your Amazon account, so if you don't like it, just scrap it before 30 days, free of charge, audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That goes such a long way in terms of being able to bring you more in the immediate future, which we plan on doing anyways, but we want to give you even more than that. So, I mean, heck, if you want to directly pledge, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash CLNS Radio. I can't wait for this week. I can't wait for Tuesday. Not just for the drawing. We don't know how we're going to be feeling good or bad. I think we've been through the battles. We've been through the tough times enough. So if the worst comes to worst, it's really going to be like, hey, whatever. But I still can't wait for this week anyways. Just on what CLNS Radio is going to bring everyone, myself included. Again, this all kicks off Monday with Celtics Stuff Live. Download the free CLNS Radio mobile app right now to not miss CLNS's coverage, starting with that show and ending with this one next Sunday. We've got no better guests to discuss the fallout from May 17th on episode number 158, but that's then. This is now. It is time to put a wrap on number 157. Celtics Beat music for this show was provided by Will Rock and Steph Legratto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also Google Plus Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest Celtics play-by-play announcer Mike Gorman. Also Mike Walsh of the network for stopping by. Most importantly, our audience for tuning in for yet another week. Shout out to the sponsors today, Audible and American Farmers Network, for all the support they do provide this show. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of the number one podcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio. <laughs>